Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're going to be hosting the .NET Developer Days Conference in Warsaw, Poland, October 23rd through the 25th. Developer Days is one of the largest events in Central and Eastern Europe dedicated to application development on the .NET platform. And we'll be recording a number of shows from the conference and hanging out with you. So go to developerdays.pl and get your tickets now. Hey, what are you doing Monday, November 4th? Want to write a Blazor app with me? Attend my Blazor app workshop online. In just one day, we'll write a complete server-side Blazor PWA app with Entity Framework Core, API controllers, components, SignalR, ASP.NET Core identity, and user management using Visual Studio 2019. We're going to be using Twitch. So sign up online right now at blazor.appvnext.com. That's blazor.appvnext.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Dude. What? Today is a new day, and I'll tell you why. A new day? A n- not a nude day. <laughs> I don't, do you have nude days? I don't have nude days. No, no, but I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> you're, you're That's entitled. the great thing about being a podcaster. <laughs> That's right. You're entitled to not wear pants. That's it. Uh, how you doing, man? I got nothing, nothing to complain about. You know, did a big uh, smoking session for a block party, 10 racks of ribs. Wow. And uh, always a hit in the neighborhood, you know, filled the backyard with uh, hickory smoke, and uh, they turned out really great. I have uh, sunset parties every once in a while at my house, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, the neighbor comes over uh, with her son, who's like 11, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was a little bit hungry, and I was about to, to have, you know, some dinner. And uh, I I made it. It was a, a burger on chaffles. Do you know what chaffles are? No, no, what chaffles are? Cheese waffles. Okay. And, and these are taking the low carb, gluten free world by storm because they they're just like perfect sandwich bread. They're bread, but made out of cheese. Cheese and eggs. Yeah. So half a cup of mozzarella cheese shredded. One egg is the basic recipe, and you get these little dash mini waffle makers and you can make two of them one for each side you can flavor them with whatever you want yeah so i made this cheeseburger and i i'm i had another one so i made a half of one and i brought it out for the kid and he goes wow this is awesome so the neighbor <laughs> tastes it and she says this is the best damn cheeseburger i've ever eaten seriously she said that and, she, and it was all cheese it was pretty much all cheese and eggs. yeah Anyway, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but that's what's new with me. Love it. Let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Uh, do you remember when I built the um, the admin for our podcasts, the admin site in plain JavaScript? Yes, Vanilla JS, as I recall. It was total Vanilla JS. Yeah. Do you remember how long it took? I don't remember. Weeks, weeks and weeks of work. And I don't know, I didn't add up the man hours, but it was a lot. So I attempted to redo it using Blazor. Oh, interesting. I've pretty much gone 90% of the way there in about 16 hours. Wow. I've never felt more productive in my life. I've been more productive 
than when I was using web forms. This is beta bits, dude. The reason is because of binding. Binding is just so simple. And I remember getting stuck in binding hell with web forms. Sure. You know, and templates and all of this stuff. It just, that all of that cruft is gone. Interesting. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that story. That's my, that's my better know framework. And, and also, you know, I went through all of the tools, Telerik, SyncFusion. I didn't do DevExpresses, but I did also Radzen at... Uh, oh, yeah. They're the new guys in town, New guys right? at Jeff Fritz's. Yeah, I ended up using a lot of Radzen stuff, but I ended up using SyncFusion for their calendar and their file uploading. Right. And the file uploading is just brilliant. The file uploader control, so... So I guess we're getting a new admin client soon? We are. It's going to be all Blazor. <laughs> this is how I'm finding out about it on a show. That's okay. right, yeah. And it, <laughs> okay. it's modeled after the exact same one we we have now, right. so it will be very, very familiar to you. That's cool. I've, I, you know, I was just looking at the lineup for the past few weeks and going, wow, we've talked a lot about Blazor, but there may be a reason. Yeah, this is October 3rd, so .NET Core 3 should have dropped by now. Last week, yeah. But uh, we're recording this on the 16th, so I'm still working with Preview 9. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, not a lot, but some of the syntax has changed, like the binding syntax where you put the at sign from the previous previews. Uh, I think it changed in Preview 8. So as a result of that, a lot of the guidance that you see and examples that you see on the internets are just wrong. Well, yeah, and and they said 9 is probably the last preview version before final although there's yeah. a possibility in the couple of weeks that we're talking about they might run an rc1 or something because mm-hmm. nobody's going to make a 10 that would sort wrong <laughs> yeah right uh, sure. but, uh, <laughs> but it's gotta, uh, be, nine it's gotta be it's very very close bits you're, you're you're tinkering with right now yeah so i'm feeling really good about it and just reporting that i've never felt more productive writing web software ever nice nice that's awesome great line yep so who's talking to us today man Oh, I grabbed a comment off a of show 1268, which we did with one Jeremy Miller yeah. back in March of 2016, talking about Martin on Postgres, ah. which is a show I really enjoyed. Uh, lots of conversation in there. And admittedly, this comment is we'll push it four years old now or three and a half anywhere. Where uh, Emmett Childress, who's been a regular listener for a long time and I'm sure has a couple of mugs, uh, said Martin will hopefully see widespread adoption. Jeremy had it right when he emphasized the tools within Postgres that Martin leverages. Hmm. There's no need to reinvent the wheel or take dependencies unnecessarily. The scalability of Martin will be interesting to test. And I guess we can check with Jeremy to just see how well adoption went. Uh, because, uh, you know, Martin's still out there, still doing the thing. So it's uh, it's interesting to see folks that that uh, definitely jumped onto it. So, I mean, you'll have to let us know uh, how you feel about it a few years later, and a copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at dotnetrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, just like the Martins do. <laughs> I don't think it's true. Well, they but tweet, okay. don't they? Martins. Yeah, I guess it's what kind of Martin are we talking about? There's also the Martin that is like a pole cat, right? Like a kind of weasel. There's also uh, uh, Uncle Bob. He's a Martin. There's he also Martin. That's true. Guitars. They're Martins. Some yeah. of them. The Martins. Anyway. All right. Let's bring back Jeremy Miller. Uh, Jeremy is a senior software architect at 
Cala Vista Software in Austin, Texas. Jeremy began his software career writing shadow IT applications to automate his tedious engineering documentation, then wandered into software development because it looked like more fun. <laughs> Jeremy has been heavily involved in open source.net development as the author of Structure Map, Storyteller, and as the lead developer of Martin, not M-A-R-T-I-N, M-A-R-T-E-N. Jeremy occasionally manages to write about various software topics at jeremydmiller.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. Any response to the 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 mail that Richard read? Yeah. So uh, it is Martin the Weasel Animal. Um, yes. Cute little boogers. Uh, can't say I've ever seen one in person. Don't. <laughs> They're vicious little bastards, and they smell. They're nasty. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well... Well, let's, let's, let's not read anything into that. Uh, yeah. So Martin's, Martin has done pretty well. Um, I haven't checked the figures in a little while, but last I knew, I think we're sitting at around 600,000 downloads on Nougat. Nice. Uh, but the adoption is still trending up a little bit. We have a, a very passionate user base. Um, I'm, I'm not actually that intimately involved with day-to-day development with it now. Uh, but we have a full community. We have a, a team of an official team of maintainers, and we're still nice. churning out releases and moving on. Well, I look at GitHub and I see, you know, just that sort of instinctual look of how is this project running? And I see a thousand stars, a hundred contributors, and check ins that are a day ago. That to me sounds like a functioning, successful project. Yeah. Uh, I think so, and and honestly, I'm I think I'm most proud of the hundred contributor number. Yeah, that's, it's a great metric, man. Great. And then and then I would all you know my next stage when I sort of dig deeper into a project is then I go click on that those contributors to see you know who's where how who's you know is it all single commits and it's not right. Obviously, you're hugely dominant, but you know you've had years of effort into this. But I see a bunch of you know dozen plus. 20 you know 30 40 50 contributors so those are folks that are really adding to your project so yeah this if anybody asked me i'd say this is a thriving project sure looks that way well good yeah i'm taking that right back to the getter list as this is done <laughs> richard campbell says we're thriving <laughs> <laughs> that and five bucks will get you a latte <laughs> <laughs> depends where you're at yeah i don't want to spend the whole time on martin but we really haven't even talked about what it is yet Okay, uh, so for folks in the .NET world um, that are interested in NoSQL or alternatives to straight-up old-fashioned relational databases, uh, the Postgres database has a, a lot of cool features that are a little bit unique for a relational database. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is just out-of-this-world JSON support. Yeah. Um, little beyond everybody, everybody else is catching up, but Postgres got out way ahead with some unique features. Um, the Martin project utilizes all that fancy JSON tech inside of Postgres. Um, we created a library that allows you to treat Postgres as a document database. So get all the goodness of NoSQL, but you're still, you still have ACID rules and a fully transactional NoSQL database. And then add on to the side of that, uh, that's an, I'd say has been accidentally successful <laughs> Uh, it also has an event sourcing capability nice. with uh, projections. Um, <laughs> and that's been successful to the point where it's been hard to keep up with feature requests. The thing that I found weird about Postgres, 
uh, is the the SQL syntax is a little bit different, putting quotes around field names and things like that. It didn't take me long to to adjust, but it's just a little bit different. So do you shield your users from that kind of stuff? Like, how do you use Martin? Uh, so you shouldn't have to do that all the time anyway. But uh, with Martin, okay. uh, with Martin, uh, we have link support. Um, now, granted, it's it's almost impossible for your link provider to do everything yeah. it has to, yeah. has to do. So remember, remember, folks, to be very grateful to the the people who write your link providers because it's super tedious. Yes, um, mostly through link individual documents. It's just commands like store this, load that, um, and for the things that the link provider can't do, you can drop down to raw SQL. The, the JSON operators are a little wonky, but you shouldn't have to mess with that very often. Mm-hmm. And if you absolutely have to do it this way, if you get into something really weird, you can drop down and you can write JavaScript functions to do some filtering and transformations and have that executed inside of Postgres. What about uh, the Postgres version that runs in Azure, the managed version of Postgres? Does uh, Martin work with it? It, it does now. Uh, so. Uh, there's a little bit of issue. Uh, PLV8, that is the the JavaScript engine for Postgres, uh, wasn't supported by Azure at first. So you could run Martin with it kind of downgraded a little bit, uh, but now every possible feature of Martin is available with uh, Azure. And we have we have some folks using hosting uh, a Martin inside of Postgres in Azure. Um, probably a few more with AWS, but we we have folks being successful with Azure. Yeah, I just like the idea of not owning the database, essentially, just owning your utilization of it, rather than actually having a VM and hosting a database in that. But uh, it, it it's an interesting way to work. Oh, you you, you and me both. Uh, but um, for local and local development time, one thing that's really handy is it's very fast to spin Postgres up in a Docker container yeah. for local, isolated local development. And that, that's been very successful for us. Yeah, it's a good point that those Docker templates now seem to be the remarkable driving force between quick setups and testing configurations and experimenting with new technology where you just get away from configuration hell. Yeah. Bash scripts to completely destroy and rebuild the database, which I use all the time when I'm testing because, you know, the state gets messed up. You don't just go and delete records. You just want to start over. Boom. Done. Yeah. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Was Martin one of your gateways into .NET Core? Because I know you've, you're have you taking Core real serious these days. Uh, yeah, I, well, I have several other projects. Uh, I think it was the first project I worked on where we explicitly supported Net Standard. And Martin started up in the days before Net Standard 2.0, uh, you right. know, into the project.json years when things were heavily in flight. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so we, we got to see uh, some of the growing pains of .NET Core. Um, yeah, I, I, it's fair to say it was a gateway. Yeah, and I, and I also, you know, it's funny, I've been looking through like old comments and things about Core, looking at some other, uh, you know, common areas that we could talk about and realizing it's just not fair to bring up criticism of .NET Core from two years ago because it's come so far. It, it, it has. And um, I, I mean, it's, it's maybe not the biggest detail, um, I'm a little excited long-term when .NET Core 3.0 hits pretty soon, when they have the unified host builder model. 
Um, I, I, I think that's going to make a, a I think it's going to be a huge enabler for a lot of open source extensions. Now that you have really one true mechanism for extending and adding in support for infrastructure, like a Martin or entity framework or anything like that. Um, having a, a, an official canonical way across the ecosystem of this is how you can plug your custom infrastructure into a .NET Core app. I, I think that's going to be huge. Yeah. It, I, it feels to me like we, I remember talking to Mads Torgensen a while back about what was happening with C-sharp going cross-platform open source and the new architecture and so forth. And it said it felt to me like that sets you up for a Cambrian explosion. Like you now sort of freed this language for folks to experiment and expand on it. And it clearly that has happened. And I feel like this latest set of moves is doing the same thing with open source, that, that it's just going to be so easy to contribute into the .NET ecosystem now with, with open source that I, I can't even imagine what's going to happen next. Oh, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think I think just from the, some of the smaller projects I have, uh, in addition to Martin, uh, it, it's been a lot easier to build onto the existing framework. Um, didn't really feel the need to go off to the side and try to build a whole new foundation. Um, right. Yeah, it's interesting that they've gotten here. That the and it seems very intentional that they've gotten to a place where we all have pretty good confidence that this is a good thing to build against and it's not going to slip away from you either. Yeah, it took me a while to get comfy with it. I think 2.0 is where I really got the feeling that, wow, okay, this is really out of the realm of, uh, you know, almost beta. And uh, that's that's where I saw a lot of customers coming to me with their, uh, you know, lift and shift projects that they were ready to a lot of a lot of people I know a lot of companies made the move to .NET Core with 2.0, and that's consistent I think with what what we what Calvista uh, my company has seen with some of our clients. Yeah, uh, they have been when we've been able to help uh, some of our customers move from MVC Classic to .NET Core, we've been able to do some some good stuff, reduce the amount of code, improve the testability. It's moved in a good direction. Absolutely. So. What are you doing with ASP.NET in core? Mostly just to, for us right now, mostly web services. Uh, I haven't mm -hmm. actually got to build a, a UI product on it. Uh, but for web services, it's been, it's been really good for that. Um, being able to use some judicious middleware to deal with a lot of tedious uh, instrumentation and security uh, has been really nice. Mm. Um, from a testability perspective, um, I mean, in, in the old, you know, the old days, like three years ago, you could conceivably use Owen and Katana to run an ASP.NET system locally for testing or within a, within a test environment, but it wasn't, wasn't a great experience. So today, um, so we use a tool called Alba that just sits on top of test server, but the ability to spin up your entire application with or without Kestrel inside of a test harness, run tests directly against it while also using the application code. Uh, that's been huge for the, the amount of test coverage we've been able to put, put you know, on your box, but in continuous, uh, continuous integration efforts, all without having to muck around with things like Selenium. And not having to muck around with Selenium is awesome. <laughs> it is in my book. <laughs> 
What 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 drives people crazy about selenium? What drives you crazy about selenium, uh, Jeremy? Well, it's slow. Slow is the biggest problem. Uh, it can be very unreliable when you have uh, web applications with a lot of asynchronous behavior, which these days that's most software. Just about every web application you do. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of energy you have to do to make Selenium-based tests be reliable. Um, there's a little bit of brittleness as the UI itself is changing. And I mean, what I would really just say is it's it's a it's not a great uh, uh, bang for your buck kind of activity. Maybe mm-hmm. you need to do a little bit of it, but if you can shift more of your testing effort to test against your API layer or if you're in a JavaScript heavy world, there's so much better facilities now for testing your your JavaScript, your React, or Vue components in isolation. So I, I just think there's there's far more efficient ways of authoring automated tests against your system without having to do everything outside in with Selenium. Yeah, no, that's very fair. And it's I, I don't know testing through the browser is a brittle way. It just means every time there's a major change, everything's broken. You got to start over. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's enough to make you hate testing. Wait, <laughs> how did that happen? So there's a lot of new stuff, obviously, in uh, .NET Core and ASP.NET Core. Take us through a little bit of history of what's changed in the ecosystem from from classic to now. Sure. So uh, I think I'll give you three things that, that I think are significant. You know, the first one for me, the new the configuration model that came with .NET Core, um, the ability to use different c- configuration sources, have them stack on each other of saying, well, pull in the, con- the environment variables, but I may override that programmatically inside the application, or I want to pull from a JSON file um, and then go a little bit farther. I can have multiple JSON files per environment. And from a single switch in the application, I can switch my application from running against the testing environment, to my local environment, to some kind of dev environment. Maybe not something you want to do every day, but having that ability is pretty frequently valuable. And you can set yourself up from a single command line switch on your ASP.NET Core project now to connect one way or another, rather than the old way where we had to copy a bunch of files in and change things around. Um, Going a little bit farther, so the old configuration system, it was pull-based. You'd find a lot of code where people are reaching and grabbing, go configuration manager, .app settings, and grabbing one value, and then I'm going to convert it and parse it and do whatever. So your code ends up being just rigidly, tightly coupled to your configuration, if you're not careful. Um, Some of us played around over the years with the idea of a strong type configuration, where I just pull in a constructor variable for something, and I get a strong type C-sharp object, everything all parsed out. I don't know where it comes from. But that was kind of a one-off thing that people had in fringe OSS tools. Now that's part of the real out-of-the-box ASP.NET Core ecosystem. So your application is handed the configuration it needs in a way that's already parsed out and built exactly the way it needs. Your code then becomes much less coupled to the configuration, better testability, just all kinds of good stuff. Um, 
so the second one I would say, and I, I hated this at first. Um, I railed against this, uh, some of the details of how it's done in Twitter, but I've made my peace with it. Uh, with ASP.NET Core, there is now a common, um, common set of interfaces and abstractions for how IOC uh, registrations are captured in an ASP.NET Core app. Um, so the, the iService collection model that, that you've probably seen in your startup. Um, so I'm, I'm one of the authors of one of the older, some of the older open source IOC tools and a newer one called Lamar. And it caused a lot of overhead for us because now we have to conform to the way that ASP.NET Core team decided IOC containers have to behave. And, and there was some consternation over that. But when you get past that, what that is enabling is having packages like um, a package for EF Core where you can just add, add me a DB context to my application. And you have a reusable recipe for integrating entity framework inside of your application, getting all the IOC life cycles right, what's a singleton, what should be scoped, so on and so forth. So that, that's opening a lot of doors to make it easier for people to add extensions into the ASP.NET Core mm -hmm. ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... The last, the third one I'll give, it, maybe it's old hat, but uh, the SPNet core middleware strategy. Um, so a couple years ago, five, six, seven years ago, I don't don't really remember. We had we had a project called Owen, O W I N. It was the standard to kind of create a rack like like API for .NET. Um, it's still hanging around. But a way of being able to kind of wrap that Russian doll model of handlers in an HP call, doing things like being able to just quickly add some logging onto the outside without touching all of your controllers, just put some common behavior for logging, security, in some cases, even adding all new pages, like the what you use with Swagger today. That just thinking about what our client what some of our clients do, um, looking at their older MVC5 application and how much repetitive code they're writing for instrumentation today versus just stick that in ASP.NET Core middleware and when you go to .core and take care of it in one place, much less code being duplicated and running around. Right. Yeah. The dependency injection story has been great for a long time too, and I just love that. That I don't have to uh, go out to the to NuGet to to get that kind of support. Well, I, I have a different perspective, obviously, but as the guy guy building the NuGets that you would go and support, uh, it does give us a standard mechanism to be able to toss our stuff into the mix. Where it used to be, MVC was one way. Web API was another, mm -hmm. and Service Bus has something different. Mass Transit, every framework had a totally different way and required a different set of adapters. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and, and yeah, interesting stuff on the on the approach for all of this. Hey guys, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. Are you struggling to replicate the bugs and performance issues customers are reporting? Plug Raygun into your web and mobile applications right now. 
and diagnose problems in minutes rather than hours. Say goodbye to having to dig through log files and relying on frustrated users to report issues. Make your software development life so much easier using Raygun's error, crash, and performance monitoring tools. Every software team can create flawless software experiences for their customers with Raygun. Try it free today at raygun.com. And we're back. This is Richard Camel. There's my friend Carl Franklin. You're listening to .NET Rocks, and we've got Jeremy Miller on right now. And you know, I just suddenly hit me. Uh, you're one of the Alt.NET guys, man. Back from the very beginning of it in like <laughs> 2007. Like uh, you've got a long memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did call you the Hibernate Mafia after all. <laughs> And then it, who was it? Was it David Larrabee who came up with the name? I think he. I think he actually said, "If if Hyena Hibernate Mafia sticks, I'm going to have to kill you." So <laughs> let's come up with a better name. But I just said it occurs to me. It's like, turns out you guys were right. Yeah. Like, look where we are. Look what you're describing. I'm like, this is exactly what you were talking about a little over ten years ago. Well, so you might be make, make the argument that. All of us all done it, folks, from way back when, you know, when we wanted to make a movement and we wanted to speed this up quite a bit, maybe the, the real lesson of, of the last 10 years was just simply to, to be more patient, that mm. things were going to get to a better place. It was just going to take a while. Yeah, I don't know that it was as certain as that. You know, they, the path is a winding one. There's no two ways about it. And we can certainly argue methods and messages. But the, the core idea that open source needs to be part of the development stack is a very salient idea. And I think the fact that there were advocates outside of Microsoft as well as inside of Microsoft um, were important, important to, to providing acceptability. I wonder if you guys hadn't been so angry and forward about the changes you wanted to bring forward. Had it, would, would it have not made as much of an impact on Scott? On the Scots, that's in one in particular. I, I don't know. Um, definitely spent a lot of time wrestling with that. Um, I think that uh, I, I think that if a handful of angry, very visible individuals um, had maybe been a little bit calmer, um, maybe all .net would have gone on for a little while longer. Mm. Yeah. Um, Maybe just if it just been able to last a little bit longer, and there there are still a handful of chapters. There are still all .NET clubs here and there. Uh, mm. Sydney, um, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, somewhere in the north of England, there's still a, a handful of really active all .NET groups where, where they get together, they talk about development, development techniques, open source tools, a lot of testability. Mm. Um, the one thing I will claim a little bit of credit i i think and hope for all.net is I, I think you see a lot more emphasis on testability in microsoft written frameworks and application yeah. development toolkits yep. and, and i don't i don't think that was evident at all 10 years ago i agree yeah now yeah, and it's definitely you know all of these things have evolved it's uh it's interesting that you know i am working the book on the history of .NET and that fall of 2007, without a doubt, was a pivotal moment, both internally and externally. Not only was the, the alt.net movement sort of coined then, but that's also when Scott Hanselman and Rob Connery and Phil Hack all joined. The, you know, uh, Scott Guthrie's Ninja Army. 
That's when MV- MVC was demoed for the first time at the first alt.net event. I, I was there. You were there. You helped organize that, if I recall correctly. Uh, a little bit, yes. Here, I just amused now, thinking in, 20, in the fall of 2019, we were talking through these configuration approaches and using JSON, like these open standards and so forth. And it's, you know, I, I just had to do it. I dug up your, I'll include this as a show note. I dug up your article from MSDN in, in March of 2008, where you're describing what Alt.net was sort of about and the sort of things we value. And the things you're describing, Jeremy, like they're almost to the letter. And the magazine's defunct now. And, and here it is. Here we are. <laughs> Oh, can we say just for a moment what a shame that was? Because it, it, it was such a great experience. Uh, I, I got a column in MSDN because of the the they wanted a an all .NET flavored column in MSDN, and I just happened to be the guy that was lucky enough to get it. And that, that was such a great experience for me, and, and I was really sad to see MSDN going away. Do you still have a vision for ways that? Uh, core can improve and things that you'd like to see that maybe um, Mr. Hunter, Mr. Guthrie aren't thinking about? Uh, at this point, it's probably more tactical. Um, I still, I love that it's cross-platform. Um, I'd like to see that be more and more of a, of a thing. Uh, so I actually do most of my .NET development on uh, Mac and have for the last couple of years. Um, I, I think it's still, right now, I think it's growing the ecosystem broadly. Um, there's still a lot of opportunity for add-on, value add-on kind of uh, open source tools. Um, I still think there's some value. I think that it's time for some alternatives to MVC core to start popping up. Um, mm-hmm. There's already Carter that gives you a Sinatra-like like API alternative, but there's still just room to grow. I don't know that there's anything I'm, I'm really asked to be asking the, the Scots and, and Microsoft itself. To be has, doing. has EF core, uh, become acceptable to you lately? I've used it on a couple projects. Um, I think it's fine. Uh, at, at this, this point in time, um, it, it's also a deal where you just, to, to quote the song, you don't spit it in the wind. Yeah. Um, EF Core has been fine when we've used it with customers. Yeah. But there's there's also a lot of things I like about EF Core, and I can point to things that came from in Hibernate. Um, a lot of things, the code first in Entity Framework, yep. I point right to Fluid in Hibernate. That was a big community-led project. Um, that's been fine. If, if I had my choice in matters, which I usually don't, but if I had my choice, I would push towards no a NoSQL solution when I could. Yeah. But clients won't accept it. So EF Core has been fine. Yeah, I, I always like that argue, the argument of, listen, you spent all this time making objects. Why do you make the customer wait while you decompose them into rows and columns? Just store the object. It is the source of truth. You could decompose asynchronously if you want to use it for an al- analytics, but that's a separate problem. Don't involve the customer. It would also be different if it if the NoSQL databases weren't so damn performant. You know, I mean, that was the only. That's really the only reason I would consider using a SQL database performance. But then, you know, when things are so decomposed and you got nineteen joins, the, there goes your performance benefit. I, I mean, you still. So this is one of the things we, we tried to 
we still do try to sell with Martin and we need to extend a lot of have one database, do your transactional work in, in dealing with objects and documents, not worry about how it's stored, but still have the ability in the exact same database to have some reporting projections of the mm-hmm. data um, and not have to have t- two databases to pull that off because relational database is still awfully, awfully good for reporting. That's actually what it was meant for. That's what Ted Codd was thinking. You know, it's it's the fact that we do, we got, and then the marketing guys pushed the transactional aspects of it. And it was never really its strength. <laughs> well, at this point, it doesn't matter what its strength it is because it's the one thing that everybody knows. And yeah, e- even though and everybody I, has. I prefer, even though I prefer a NoSQL approach, uh, it's hard to argue with the fact that so much tooling is built around a SQL database. Everybody yeah. knows SQL and it's accepted. Doesn't make yeah. it easy. It's it's an accepted practice, even if it's not great. Yes. And the, being older um, and maybe not being so fervent about the best approach at all times, just recognizing that um, technologies that are very Googleable or biggable. That that's a pretty important quality all by itself. It, you're not you're not wrong. <laughs> you know this is how this is how we teach ourselves things, especially yeah. when we get stuck. These are absolutely the assets to it. Yeah, it, uh, I I'd love to dig into more open source libraries that are supporting core that that folks just don't need to know more about. Like Carter's in, very interesting to me, even if it's a bit young yet. It does. Uh, it speaks to this idea that there's there is this eco new ecosystem emerging, and we need to pay attention to it. Oh, absolutely! And ASP.NET Core itself, I think, is built in in such a way that you can build frameworks, alternative HP endpoint frameworks, on top of ASP.NET Core. Mm-hmm. Uh, the F Sharp guys do it. Um, I, I have an open source project that's kind of mothballed called Jasper that was um, part of what it was going to do is an alternative way of creating HP endpoints for ASP.NET Core. But over time, I dropped a lot of the custom code that was in it to just pick up and use the building blocks that are already in ASP.NET Core. The, the hosted service idea, the service registrations, the configuration, the way it's done. There's just a lot of Lego pieces that are there today that didn't exist in uh, MVC Classic five years ago. Yeah, it's just a way of thinking that they weren't quite there yet. I mean, I love that you're calling it ASP.NET Classic as opposed to ASP Classic. Yeah, and (laughs) so I'm one of those holdouts. Uh, I love ASP Classic. I cut my teeth as a... doing real useful things professionally with ASP classic. And um, I'm one of those people that never got web forms. So I've never really kind of liked the idea that ASP is still used for, for the nomenclature for everything, even two or three generations later. Yeah. We still haven't shaken that name off. And I think it's just, that's what people know, right? When I know exactly what you're talking about when you say ASP. Yeah, the kids today are just never going to know the joy of editing an ASP script directly on the production server. Okay, you've got a funny version of joy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we used to fly much closer to the sun than you do these days with your abstracted tools. Uh, Are you done with MVC too? Is that the pattern sort of uh, enough? 
for web for web development. Um, so I don't. If I was building a web application today, I would probably push for a JavaScript heavy front end and the the back end. The MVC piece of it would really be that that BFF approach, the back end for front end, um, where the back end is just slinging JSON around. Um, you know, based on the idea, I think that that creates the most testable application. If you're comfortable with with the JavaScript front end, and not everybody will be, but if you're just building BFF type applications with MVC core, you're not really messing with Razor. Um, the models are still really just DTOs, and I think that's a perfectly good good approach. I think that's a very valid way to use um, MVC core, but if you're doing that, you could probably get away with something lighter like a Carter or some other alternatives that may come into play later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just nice to see some choices here. Yes. So uh, I can imagine what your reaction is going to be to this question, but what do you think of Blazor? Uh, I mean, just at a very shallow view, um, I, I kicked the tires on it as a for a potential project I have off the side. Um, I think it's going to be far more successful technically than web forms was because it, it fits the technology far better. I I think people that really like that, that kind of VB six or or win forms approach of building applications. um, I think blazer will be a much better solution for them. And I'm not one of those people that necessarily hates JavaScript, but I don't ever want to do a very large JavaScript project. Just, just the ability to use, uh, more of a static type language with better tooling with WebAssembly in the browser. I, I think I think we're all going to be happy that that's there. My uh, project that I mentioned in the Better Know Framework in the intro is a server-side Blazor project. So this injects a, um, a SignalR hub in between. And so you really don't ever see the, the front-end, back-end uh, communication happening, except when the connection gets broken and your website stops working. But that's because of a bug on your side, not because of anything that they've done. Um, so, but I imagine those error messages will get better, and handling them will get better uh, as we go on. But I've I've found the whole process just incredibly liberating because I don't have to deal with the plumbing. Nice. You know? Is there a, is there already a hot reloading module of some sort for Blazor development? Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that as the case right now, but um, perhaps it will be. Um, if I, if I have to change some code, you know, even if it's, well, you know, I mean, it's on the server, so I, I can't stop. There is, edit and continue doesn't really work right now. Uh, maybe I just don't have it set correctly, but it seems to work for my other applications, but no. But I, I'm, I'm very certain I've read that this is, this is something that's on the way. I imagine it would be. That right now, I think, is a make or break thing for any kind of UI technology. Yeah. Because uh, once you have it, it's hard hard to let it go. You're right about that. <laughs> I love just hitting F5 and seeing it all happen again. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, the only thing I ever missed from VB6 was edit and continue. Well, you know, we have it. Just um, not in all projects. Not in this kind anyway yet. Yeah, those were simpler times building MDI apps and in, in just for Windows you know, all client side, boy, man, we could get a lot done in a very little time. 
I'm still watching what the client side of Blazor is going to look like. Like, it sounds like it's further away. I mean, by the time we're publishing this, yeah. server side should have shipped. But right. the, the, the WebAssembly thing is just fascinating to me. It is fascinating. Wish it would have happened 10 or 15 years ago. No kidding, huh? <laughs> we did have it 15 years ago, man. It was called ActiveX. <laughs> oh, please. Just embed your comm component into your Internet Explorer. Everything will be fine. I embedded ActiveX controls. I, I embedded uh, um, invisible ActiveX controls into IE4 web pages years and years ago. And I made a lot of trips down to the floor to install things for the people that were using it. Um, you make trips to the confessional. Yeah. It was fun when it, it was really fun when it worked, but oh, wow. Yeah, no kidding. When the object tag was a good idea. There's a book title for you. I was excited about it when uh, when it came out, just because I wanted to do something easy, and uh, that seemed easy. But then, of course, you know all the problems ensued. It's been a wild ride ever since that damn iPad. Yeah, it occur it, it occurs to me that when we were using ActiveX controls, we were literally generating plugins almost on demand that we expected people to simply install. Then we got to the Silverlight model. It was like, okay, just one plug-in. And now we're at that. Uh, sorry, no plugins. Nope. And that's fine. Browsers are more sophisticated. I'm still concerned about the vulnerabilities of loading DLLs through WebAssembly. Like that just, if there's one exploit ever, it's, that thing's going to pop. So Jeremy, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Uh, so for me, I, I think, Pretty soon, I need to switch back to Martin, and we are doing a we're doing a huge redo of the event sourcing model. Uh, had two or three years of people beating on in production, and we've learned some things that need to be improved. Very good. It's good data, though, when you actually have people out in the field doing hard things and saying, "This is what I struggle with." It's it's not. It's necessary. It's not viable to do a complicated open source project unless unless you have users that'll give you good feedback. Um, it just doesn't happen unless somebody's dogfooding it. Indeed. Yeah, I appreciate that. Jeremy, thank you very much for spending the time with us, and it's very cool to catch up and hear your thoughts about the .NET Core ecosystem. Thanks. Hey, guys, it was fun. Thanks for having me back on. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a